ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a brand new installment of the Sock Takes Pod for a new year with new hosts, a bit of a new format, a lot of new stuff to talk about. My name is John Leonard. You probably remember me from the various hashtag hipster manifestos. Joining me today is CJ Colton Qureshi. Yeah. You can go either one, CJ Colton, whichever you prefer. I just know I'm so familiar from uh, seeing your uh, username on Reddit. It's the r slash MLS moderator takeover podcast. <laughs> Shill city. Shill city. We've got a lot of various, you know, crazy installments in the soccer world since the eternity ago in which we last potted. NISA stuff, USL League One, whatever's going on with the Members' Cup. We're going to go as far as we can with our current list of stuff to talk about until either we get bored or sick of it or our voices give out. And you can expect to see a continuation of this pod in the near future. Let's just uh, let's dive into it. Let's talk some NISA. Yeah, oh my god, we have such a long list. We're, we're definitely not getting through it all today. But yeah, let's start with Nisa, because that's been moving and shaking. Um, so, I mean, like, we could start with the biggest thing, right? So the Cosmos, Detroit, and Chattanooga coming in. That, that's clearly the big headline for that. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of questions around the survivability of Nisa long term. Um, when the Fury folded in the fall season, those concerns sort of got amplified. Um, Atlanta having some troubles didn't help with that. But you feel like sort of the Cosmos, Detroit, and Chattanooga coming in sort of lended an air of stability. Even with the departure of Miami, this feels more stable than it did at the beginning of like the of fall 2019. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, it's it's also important that having Rocco's money actually matters for Nisa. Like just having somebody like him who can potentially prop up the league if times get rough and also just his ability to you know pound the table and get people to join the league that's as much as uh as much of a divisive figure as Rocco can and has been he's actually somebody you definitely want on your side in in soccer yeah he's that kind of guy where you know if he were a teammate on a team you'd love to have him on your team and you hate when he's on the other side um it's funny because you're you're so right. Having his money there, having that safety net is just it's a huge draw, right? You don't have many guys who are just these multi billionaires who are willing to stick it, you know, like right to the right to the man in lower division soccer and really get dug in and and hold to it. But he is, um, and with Silva and Miami departing, that was the other you know big name owner there with a lot of weight behind him. And so, you know, it really does come down to Rocco. And that's sort of like a, a, a hit or miss thing, right? It's nice to have, but I've, I've gotten concerns from some Nisa folks that I talk to, um, some fans, some some people very close to the teams, that it is also a little bit of a scary thing, right? Because we saw what happened at the end of the NASL 2.0. We saw how Rocco sort of turned the league into his vessel and 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 what ended up happening with that. And so there is some concern about that, but I think definitely at the state Nisa's end, you'd rather have him than not. Yeah, and also on on a bit of that last point, Nisa fortunately has a, a pretty strong board and front office that's a lot more robust than the NASLs. 
because we all know that the NASL was essentially a skeleton crew for much of the league's existence. Cardi- Chris and I are described that pretty well, that like oftentimes there simply wasn't a person on staff for those jobs that we were thinking about. Whereas NISA doesn't really have that problem as much. They've actually got a, a rather robust commissioner and, or a good commissioner, good directors, and actually have staff around that what Rocco ended up having to do for the NASL, he likely won't need to do that again because those people are already there doing those jobs. And then a bit of a hot take because we always have to have those. Rocco inherited an NASL that was in even worse shape than normal at the end of the year. That when he took over in uh uh, 2016 with the team at late 2016 and then the 2017 season and then the end of that season when everything fell apart Rocco had basically stepped into a league that was on the verge of folding from day one and while Nisa isn't exactly thriving Nisa looks to be a hell of a lot better shape than the NASL was circa December 2017. Definitely so. Um, Rocco, you're, you're absolutely right. He inherited what was even a skeleton of what the NASL was at its height, the, the revamp of it. Um, and, and he did what he could with it. And it was good that he, you know, he really stuck to it. And, and it's, and that's, a, that's something you need sometimes. Um, like you said, there's a, there's a better structure in place with Nisa. Prutch is a good commissioner. Things have turned around since he came on board and, he really got it off the ground after the really, really tenuous early days uh, with Wilt's departure and all, and all that. Um, but now, you know, here we are going into or going into almost February, um, spring season coming up. They actually just a few minutes ago, maybe maybe ten minutes ago, teased the schedule coming out today, which would be pretty cool to see. They've put out home openers, but there is one thing I want to talk about with the home openers which is there was one team conspicuously missing from that release. Mm-hmm. Um, we got home openers for, for everybody except for 1904 FC in San Diego, who still does not have a home opener. And I'm not really sure what to make of that. Stadium troubles. I mean, it seems like they're competing because they're opening up uh, on the road at Stumptown. But I, I wonder what's going on out there. I am wondering if there is maybe behind the scenes trying to get out of I'm still going to call it Qualcomm because yeah. that that place is let's just say not particularly ideal for D3 soccer <laughs> that's putting it really generously it would be like it, it, it would be like the Red Bulls 2 playing in MetLife Stadium out here it, yeah you know, it's an 80,000 person stadium and it looks cavernous. Or or the uh, Atlanta SC NISA team playing in Mercedes-Benz. Like, right. When you have a 10 to 1 ratio of empty to filled seats on a good crowd, it doesn't look particularly nice. Yeah. And, and complicating all of that is the fact that we now have this Landon Donovan-led, you know, San Diego loyal team launching in a division up in the USL championship with a, with probably the best venue for an independent team in that, in that area taken up now 
and and where presumably i think i think if i recall correctly that was the location where 1904 was interested in potentially building their own modular stadium so that's now taken up that that area that little region yeah um and it would be hard to compete yeah that not only was it that but this was also the stadium that they had uh tentatively secured a lease for uh the uh, abandoned NASL attempt mm-hmm. that they were actually planning to play there. And now there's really just like high school stadiums and, and other a lot less desirable venues. Torero is really the good place. Hell, that's where the uh, Major League Rugby team plays, and it looks fantastic for that. And... Yeah, it's 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 something that they be- definitely probably are are thinking about. I can't imagine what the costs of operations are at that colossal stadium, and even when it was in use for NFL or MLB, it was notoriously not fantastic. Yeah, I mean, tell that to Chargers fans who now have to <laughs> have to go up to LA to see their team. Um, I can tell you a lot of them aren't really doing that. Yeah. (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, so, you know, me personally being a Steelers fan, uh, we played the Chargers this year at, you know, in Carson. And uh, let's just say it was it was almost a home game for us. Yeah. Out out in San Diego or out in L.A., I should say. In, In the the fabulous L.A. Galaxy Stadium, whatever it's currently called. Yeah, how far we've come from uh, MLS teams playing in NFL stadiums to NFL teams playing in MLS stadiums. Yeah, and uh, there's a good chance that I think we're gonna we're gonna be seeing XFL teams playing in USL stadiums, which is just such a wild existence. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I'm I'm I'm, I'm you know personally I'm a big football guy, so I, I'm happy to see some spring football coming back, um, even if the AAF was a disaster. It'll be really fun to see what these XFL teams do. Oh, yeah. I loved the AAF, AAF while it lasted and had a lot of fun with that, but <sighs> alas. It just wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to uh, have Todd Dundon fund it. No, certainly not. Anyway, so, yeah, as we mentioned, Miami is out in NISA, and that might not be the only team because... Philadelphia Fury and Atlanta SC are not looking super great. Yeah, so I mean Miami there's there's been talks on and off at the USL for years now, going back to the the latter days of the NASL, right? They've they've talked before, it's never quite come to fruition and now it seems like it's just come to fruition. Maybe Silva was looking for something a little more secure to be a part of, maybe he felt the heat with Inter Miami coming into town and needed to get somewhere a little more established, but he took his team. He ran and played. I know that uh, it was sort of a mixed reaction. I heard some, you know, some Nisa folks reacting by saying, "Good riddance." You know, if you're not invested, you're not. You shouldn't be here anyway. Um, some being a little worried about what it meant for the stability long term. Some a little worried that it was all sort of in Rocco's hands now. Um, and then Atlanta sort of having to drop out, um, which was supposedly due to investor issues which is the same thing that knocked Philadelphia out in the fall, you know, you're going to you're gonna lose some clubs in, in any kind of soccer startup, but you are sort of relying on these to at least get you off the ground and, and have maybe more than the eight teams you're going into spring with. Um, and so, I mean, the fall, you'll have the Cosmos come in to bring it up to nine. 
Um, you have Providence in Connecticut, although that Providence one also up in the air a little bit with the potential USL uh, team coming to town and winning that stadium bid. So there's there's some definite question marks, and and Nice has really kind of got to hope that the Cosmos play out, Connecticut plays out, and a couple other teams, you know, that maybe they're speaking to really uh, flesh out for them. Yeah, the the Philadelphia one in particular, when they said it was investor problems, it's more that Matt Driver is a very divisive figure and likely alienated the investors he managed to get. That's putting it very mildly. Yeah, yeah. Matt Driver <laughs> has a bit of a reputation for running teams and leagues into the ground, and he said that he was going to put together a pretty good team for this first effort, and in the only game they actually played, they got blown out 8-1. Yeah, wasn't a shining moment. Yeah, that's that's more of a good riddance from me because that that getting rid of him is kind of important. He's more than likely not going to be a guy you want to be advertising to other teams and investors. And the Atlanta team sort of essentially more or less was part of the Silverbacks organization for a really long time and as the Silverbacks' efforts fell apart and the uh, Atlanta United moved into town and really took over the uh, Atlanta soccer scene, it writing was kind of on the wall for a second Atlanta team with them in charge. Yeah, yeah, that was always going to be a tough ask. Um, it was, it was definitely one of the ones that uh, when I sat down and looked at the list of teams, right was was one of the more questionable efforts. You know, I think you have like a pretty clear delineation of strong NISA clubs like Cosmos, Detroit, Chattanooga, Oakland, very strong. And then the clubs like Philadelphia and Atlanta who were from the get a little bit iffy. Yeah, the teams that weren't viable to add to the skeleton propped up by Rocco in Silva NASL season that was planned. Like if you couldn't right. meet that bar that a massive injection of cash would get you stable for a year, that's that's not a good sign. Right. Even even dropping down a division with with you know lesser restrictions. Oh yeah. And uh Providence and Connecticut are kind of existing. They're just sort of there lately. Yeah, I put more stock in Connecticut than Providence. Yeah. Um, I think that stadium site was really kind of the key cog in, in all of the efforts in Providence, and it looks like USL got that one. And and also the people that were bidding on the NISA side apparently didn't impress the local officials, and the USL group is just a lot more concrete and appears to just be financially stronger. Which... Yeah, that one's uh, that one's backed by the by the Phoenix guys, right? Yeah, essentially. Yeah, and uh, it it's a bit of them and a bit of some of the local guys, and I want to say they're also working on some local minor league baseball ownership partnerships, which all make a lot of sense. And it it's it, it's the one that you know really looks to be long-term viable and the fact that they're going to be building with the essentially the same setup they did for Phoenix, which worked really well. And USL Championship has gotten pretty good at vetting ownership. So if the NISA guys had already been turned away from USL and went to NISA, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, they're they're definitely better at vetting ownership than the early days, but don't tell that to the to fans in Fresno. Um, we'll yeah. get to that later on. But, yeah, yeah, that's oof. you know, I think I think even given the tumultuous start to Nisa and getting into this you know actual spring season and really getting things off the ground because I mean the fall. They called it a showcase. It really was a showcase. It was, you know, just to get some teams playing and get some momentum. Spring is really, this is where it begins. And despite all of the troubles, it's still fascinating, right? The, the schedule coming out still holds my interest. I still want to know who's playing who. I still want to know, you know, what these teams look like and what this league looks like. There's interest there. Yeah, and it's it's a good way that for especially like if you want to start building some supporter groups and getting some fan engagement like we've seen particularly in Oakland and to a lesser extent in uh, 1904 and uh, Stumptown and even the LA Force, like they're showing already that that little limited run was really good for just, you know, putting your name out there and starting to build your brand and build your momentum ahead of a more thorough, fleshed-out launch. Yeah, definitely necessary. I mean, I think if you're starting anything from scratch, I mean, what you got to do first and foremost is let your community know you're there, right? Mm-hmm. If nobody knows you're there, it's not going to matter what you're starting up. It's not going to work well. Mm-hmm. So the showcase was was a pretty inspired idea in that way. Um and it's a shame that it didn't work out for a couple of the teams, but you're right. Like, it, I mean, it, if if you can get out of that and Oakland, right, or mm-hmm. an LA Force, which is backed by a pretty strong organization in the Golden State Force, you're you're doing pretty well because those are two teams that aren't going anywhere, exactly, and, and look pretty good. And and it's a good a good anchor for the West Coast. Like even even Cal United, like they they're starting to show that. They actually had some justification for wanting to join NASL back in the day and had some justification for wanting to go professional. They're a pretty well-run team with pretty dedicated fans. I mean, their lowest attendance was still north of 1,000, and for the fall playoff, they they traveled pretty well for that game. That's, that's a good, another positive sign for Nisa. Yeah, and the West Coast is, you know, notoriously difficult to get launched in when you're when you're getting a league going. Yeah, um, we've seen USL League One struggle with that, mm-hmm. um, and that's something they're going to have to figure out too to to progress further. Yeah, and the Oakland team, Oakland Roots, like actually making something stick in San Francisco after, or the San Francisco Bay Area after the complete Deltas fiasco. It's it's no small feat for them, and they they've actually got really good community integration already yeah i mean what they've done just building their staffing their front office their their, their communications team right like tommy hodel out there Mm -hmm. um they have people who know the market they have people who understand what it means to be an oakland team and how to connect to that community and they've used it and it's been great excellent yeah so uh the nisa schedule has now been teased it's looks like it might actually be coming out monday and it looks like hopefully we'll be getting our 1904 information soon. The team is clearly still around, but we don't really know much else from there. Hopefully they can find some better stadium situation. Hopefully we get their home opener too, along with the rest of it. Because I believe that we're 
the 31st is the deadline for a league to release its schedule for Open Cup participation. And they basically don't have much time left to get all that stuff out there if those teams are still competing in the Open Cup because U.S. soccer will pull you. Yeah, it makes me think that they must have submitted something for 1904 for the Open Cup stuff because, I mean, they're confirmed in at this point. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to think that NISA gave them something. Maybe it's just not quite finalized yet. Yeah. And and so. the, the big deadline is you have to have the full thing. According to the, the latest Open Cup handbook, it's January 31st, full schedule publicly available or bust. And that that has been one of the points of contention, particularly among lower leagues in the past. So fingers crossed that nothing crazy happens this weekend that would prevent that from happening. Yeah, and I oh my, could you even imagine if if the thirty first came and went, no schedule, and USOC had to reorganize that, yeah. the entire structure? Yeah, and figure out like, uh, do we invite more NPSL and League Two teams? Do we like bring the UPSL in and treat them seriously? Like, oh, they're gonna have to at some point, right? They got that National League status now. Yeah, I have, I have. Th- thoughts about that (laughs) (laughs) oh i'm sure we're gonna get to that because we have a lot of usoc stuff to talk about oh yes uh do we want to do that or do league one next let's go league one we'll we'll stick professional and then we'll get into the amateur stuff could be almost and semi-pro stuff can be almost an entire episode by itself oh yeah absolutely so first up r.i.p lansing (laughs) oh man what a what a show that is that that was I mean, that's what happens, right, when you try to to come in somewhere. It's it's the exact example of what everybody who has a problem with the USL system, it, the reason they have a problem with it, right? Exactly. Because it, it has it was a, it was a complete mesh of the problem with territory rights, the problem with a franchise structure, the problem with vetting ownership groups and getting them invested. You know, because Lansing United was was such a strong amateur club, right? In MPSL, they they did pretty well for themselves. They came into the PDL um, before the USL League 2 switch, mm-hmm. and they did pretty well. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this this new owner comes in, wants to bring him pro, you know, changes the whole branding, changes everything, you know, overestimates what his attendance is going to look like drastically. And then, you know, not because he can't sustain it, doesn't want to sustain that level of spending anymore, right? And then you end up with nobody else able to come in and start a team, and you end up with a team folding. Yeah, it's it's exactly what a lot of people locally worried about that having a baseball guy trying and doing soccer, it it doesn't always work and the way you have to run a lower division soccer team is a lot differently than you have to run say a minor league baseball team where you're going to be given, you know, a bad day you still might get a thousand fans and if you've got 50 60 home games in a year you're still gonna break even pretty easily and you're not having to pay for players right right i mean oof the minor league baseball player situation is not great i mean you you know as well as i do if you want to talk about some turnover and some chaos the whole changes to the minor leagues this year has been nuts and pretty much nobody is happy (laughs) no nobody the minors aren't happy majors aren't happy teams aren't happy the only person who seems to be happy is the commissioner, but that's... Yeah, his job is to represent the owners, and it's what he's doing. Yeah, and they're they're still 
they're still trying to hopefully not do that. Like, yeah. nothing's set in stone yet, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, but coincidentally, I mean, they're folding a bunch of teams in minor league baseball, for those of you who aren't aware. The Lansing Lugnuts are not one of them, which is the minor league baseball team in Lansing. Yes. And that team, actually, it draws very well. Um, from what I've heard, he the owner does break even or make a profit on that team. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't a lack of money that, that folded Ignite. It was just that he didn't see what he was expecting to see, probably from a baseball perspective. Yeah. He came, in, feet. he came into it thinking, like, with minor league, other than your stadium costs, like, you really just have to pay for your daily operations, your marketing and ticket sales staff, and your, you know, running concessions. And that's about all you have to do in minor league baseball because your major league affiliate is going to handle your players and maybe you have to, like, help with some housing, but for the most part, that's the big league club's obligation. And the way minor league baseball is marketed, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to make a profit. Even in independent ball, like, we've seen teams where even when you do have to pay your players popping up that it's that that crazy number of home games crazy number of promo nights the ease at getting families in and it's it's a very different market and a very different atmosphere and a very different mindset you need and it's not surprising at all that the stuff that works in baseball doesn't translate to soccer we've seen that with some of new york city fc's strange decisions earlier on Oh boy, still. Well, yeah. let's say earlier on, but still. Yeah. It's it's still not great, but it was worse. Yeah. And it's it's just frustrating that USL is would let somebody who was like that in, and that gave me a lot of pause for uh League 1 before we got, you know, three more teams announced for this year. Yeah. I mean, it definitely felt it definitely felt rushed. And from what I've heard, it's it sort of was, right? They needed to meet that certain number of teams year one. Lansing United could have used another year to sort of ferment and get things set and ready to go. Um, and they just didn't have that time. They mm-hmm. needed to get, you know, the, the necessary number of teams to get sanctioning to do all of this. And, you know, that ties into a different issue about the PLS and the restrictions and the things that it causes. Um, but the, I mean, you know, we lament the Lansing owner for for his sort of, misguided view on what it would be like to run a lower division soccer team that team on the field was still pretty solid there were still good players and the organization the people working for it um an example of a friend of mine aaron cranford uh who crossed over at usl with me um you know he then after after lansing folded moved to tormenta to take over as their director of marketing mm-hmm. so there's obviously people who were there who knew sort of what they were doing and it's frustrating when one person in charge of all of that, right, the owner can just kind of throw that all away. Because if you gave Ignite a few more years to build up a base, I mean, they didn't they didn't average terribly. They no. weren't at the bottom of the league. They were mediocre with, with attendance. But if you give that time to build, You're it can actually become third. something. Right. Like, it could become something. Yeah. Like, they had a, a, a they were able to hit, you know peaks of close to 5000 and even 1700 as your worst attendance is that's nothing for D3 that's 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 solid like this this had the right pieces there 
Nate Miller is a good coach and managed to get himself hired over in USL Championship pretty much immediately. They yeah. made the playoffs and finished second in the league. Like Everything looked to be working pretty well for Lansing, which just made the announcement that they were shutting down all the more surprising. Yeah, it was it was a shocking it was a shocking thing when I heard it for the first time and you know, I can only imagine how all of those players and 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 staff felt. Yeah. That's and it's a shame. And now it looks like there are still rumors that Lansing United is going to try and come back with the fact that they've still run their women's team and their women's team continues to be dominant hmm. and now that they could, you know, now that they don't have to worry about the pro side maybe they come back in NPSL or League 2 or something and the old United front office can get back together and maybe try something different um you would hope that they do you would hope that they do because that organization was pretty impressive and what they had built in Lansing was pretty impressive um and it's good that they're the women's team is still going it's still dominant and and you hope that they keep that going but it would be nice to see the men's side return as well yeah um and eventually, I mean, maybe if you give it enough time and let them really build that, you bring in an investor who actually, you know, is, is around for the long term. Maybe you get back to League One at some point, but it would be good to reset. Yeah, uh, it's 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 a good market. It makes sense as a market like to, to play there and Lansing clearly cared and... I, I bet that a lot of the fans that were annoyed by the rebrand and everything else who stuck around to support the women's team pretty impressively, that if, if the old guard comes back in and says, we've got a men's team again, it's Lansing United, and we're going to do it the way we had been, I bet a lot of them would be like, okay, thank you, you know, we're, we're back, great, yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, though, that with them leaving, we've got uh, three new teams joining, we've got Inner Miami's second team, New England's second team, and most importantly, Union Omaha, a new independent side. Yeah, which is which is key because I mean a lot of people, and I don't I don't blame them, are concerned about the independent versus two team balance, right? Mm -hmm. It was a problem in the USL championship for years. I think the USL championship has sort of outgrown it a bit, and they're trying to figure out what to do with these B and two teams now. And the solution currently seems to be to push them into League One. And it almost feels like League One is where the championship was back at the beginning of the MLS partnership, right? It yeah. was using those two and B teams to prop up the league until it could stand on its own. But Union Omaha is a great sign that there are independent markets that are soccer starved that do fit this model and are willing to come in. Mm -hmm. And uh, just doing like a little bit of back in, say, 2014 when we first started seeing the MLS partnership and the the advent of LA Galaxy 2, they had 8 out of 24 teams in 2015 season that were directly MLS operated and, you know, going from about a third to a third-ish of the teams to now it's a little bit closer to a, about a fifth of the teams and now League One is essentially going to be a 50-50 split for this season. Yeah, um, and I think we're going to see that for at least the next couple of years. Um, I mean, I know that there's even a few MLS teams still looking to launch B teams, and it's, mm -hmm. you know remains to be seen where those land, NYCFC among them, Minnesota United among them. Um, but 
and I tweeted this out just before we got on here today, it does seem like there's another independent being lined up for 2021 down in Lakeland. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so USL League 2, for those who didn't see today, released their schedule, released their new league structure, conferences, and divisions. And um, I sent out a tweet that had the teams arriving, the teams rebranding, the teams departing. And among those departures, the most notable was the Lakeland Tropics, who mm-hmm. have historically been a very strong USL League 2 team, uh, have a strong UPSL team, um, have a strong indoor soccer team. And they've been rumored to be building a stadium in downtown Lakeland, a 5,000-seater, I believe, for years now. Mm-hmm. to be linked with a pro jump and so they're sitting out this 2020 usl league two season and i've now heard from a couple people that that the intent of that is to go usl league one in 2021 with that stadium yeah i've heard a lot of that too and even back when i was working for the wpsl they've they've made it pretty clear that they they want they have big aspirations you know they're, they're indoor team after a couple of uh leaner years ended up becoming a pretty consistent strong team in the league they're currently leading their division the women's side has grown by leaps and bounds and is a pretty consistent threat in in the wpsl now and the uh talking to them they're like yeah we just want to take everything from age six to age 36 for central florida and have a really strong soccer system that's all encompassing from the amateurs all the way up to the pros and this is how you do it this should be a pretty good case study for any big team or any youth organization that's got pro aspirations on how to really build a team correctly lakeland has done everything right yeah and i mean the key is that they've taken their time right Mm -hmm. they haven't rushed through it they've built this foundational structure that draws a a healthy crowd to all of these games and isn't going anywhere and so now you'll top that with a professional team and you have a complete system and lakeland is just in such a perfect little niche of geography between orlando and tampa you know you're driving driving on on i4 is just a pain in either direction It's, it's terrible you're too far to drive to Orlando easily. You're too far to drive to the Rowdies easily, which is even further down in St. Petersburg. So you have like a little market there mm-hmm. that you can appeal to. And and we've seen that it as a like at, with the Lakeland Tropics like pushing stuff forward. You know, they've had uh, the Southeastern Fire for Southeastern University start to do more serious sports and have players from their women's team even getting called up to national teams. We've seen the local area just growing a lot with all of these uh, new teams and new sponsors coming to town. And everything looks like they've, they've got a plan. They've stuck to it for five or six years now. And I honestly can't wait for them to be in League One. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it'll be great. It'll help that, you know, two team independent team balance. Um, there's a few other things on the iron that that could also help that, but those are much more up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get into those, which are Rochester, uh, the Rhinos, of course, you know, still on hiatus, going to be on hiatus in 2020, but ownership providing an update that they're targeting a 2021 return. So still alive, still still with a pulse and hopefully eventually coming back in league one 
we have the Riverside bid, which was a thing before um, sanctioning was even granted. It was a thing this offseason. It's been teetering there, that AS Roma Riverside bid, but it's never materialized. So whether that still exists or not is up in the air, but that would help fill out the Western Conference profile. Mm -hmm. And then, unfortunately, there's Penn FC, which has now been essentially confirmed to have ceased operations. They no longer have staff. Yeah. Yeah. That... When when they when they started working with Rush Soccer, so the former Penn Islanders or Penn Penn City Islanders, like that they or Harrisburg City Islanders, yes, let's get it right. Harrisburg City Islanders, a, a long term veteran of USL dating back to two thousand three. They start working with uh, Colorado or the Rush Soccer, essentially based in Colorado, and everything pretty much immediately fell apart. <laughs> Yeah, to put it to put it mildly, um, I mean the Rush organization, it's it's pretty tied into USL in general, right? Because Rush and uh, they they've got a couple USL League Two teams um, in in New Jersey, in Colorado now starting this year. Um, the owner has st- has been linked to wanting to start up a Virginia Beach professional team, mm-hmm. um, and that's sort of where the point of contention with the local Harrisburg owners and the Rush owners were because. Uh, it seems like the Rush owners are the ones who had the franchise rights or who had paid for the franchise rights. Yeah. They, and controlled they, that. And they own the Virginia Beach rights. Still. Correct. Right. So they theoretically, right, would want to take those rights and have a Virginia Beach team. Yes. Which sort of leaves the Harrisburg owner high and dry. You know, out, out yeah, high and dry. Um, and it is a shame to see such kind of a stalwart, you know, of the early USL days kind of kind of get rebranded used up and then pushed off to the side and they struggled after the rebrand more than people i think thought they would um but you know it's never nice to see um and maybe the city islanders can come back at some point but that would require i think a little more investment than the current owner has you know is able to provide Mm -hmm. and maybe like league one did make sense and harrisburg city islanders as a hypothetical league one relaunch makes sense Mm -hmm. if the money is right right and that's always that's always the question and that's always it and on that exact same point uh looks like rush soccer on their own didn't have enough money for the virginia beach thing because everything they were trying over there essentially immediately fell apart right right that's that i don't think that's anywhere in the pipeline right now um you know they'll still have their league two teams going on so they're going to maintain this connection with usl and I think ultimately they they want to get in, but you're right. I think there's something there's something missing from that portfolio. Mm-hmm. And and Rush Soccer on their own have like essentially stopped talking about pro aspirations again, which yeah. is a pretty good indication that they're not ready to do anything anytime soon. No, no, and I wouldn't expect it. And then there's Rochester. <laughs> yeah, which I mean, woof. The owners at least are dedicated. They want to come back. It's still alive. It's just the stadium situation. Yeah, and the thing is this. The stadium is not bad. And having spoken with a lot of people on the ground in Rochester, a lot of their complaints about the stadium and the neighborhood, a lot of people are saying that's not really a negative. And... 
have even gone as far as to say that they would be supporting a Rochester Rhinos team playing at that stadium without the Dworkins. Yeah. And yeah, there was definitely that huge, you know, bone of contention when when the ownership changed the youth, the youth branding got all changed. Every, you know, they changed pretty much the whole system top to bottom there. And abandoned a lot of their longtime partners. Right. Right, which alienated a lot of people. And when all of a sudden the, the team that, you know, you'd been supporting for years cuts all of its youth ties, cuts all of its local school ties, and fires a lot of the people who had been there for years, like, pretty much nobody was happy after that. And, like, the stadium is honestly, it's it's not far from where the Rochester Red Wings play. And they've always drawn really super well in that city. It's, it's not actually, like, despite what the dwarf can say, it's not really a bad neighborhood. It's a, a pretty, pretty nice area, and there's stuff to do in the area. And, and Frontier Field is one of the highest regarded AAA venues in the country, even rumored to potentially be a future MLB venue. And, you know, I, I it's it doesn't make sense that they're going to try and build a new stadium, especially with the f- money issues they've already had. Uh, I just feel like the Dworkins, dedicated as they are, and as much as I respect them for what they're doing, I'm starting to wonder if maybe they're not the right people to keep leading Rochester. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it might be that somebody with a, a little more grounded of a perspective, because I, I mean, I think it's very ambitious, mm-hmm. the entire principle of building an entirely new stadium for the Rhinos, especially as a, as a League One team. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's ambitious, and, and you're right, there's some level of praiseworthiness to that effort, but if it's not grounded in realism and it's not going to come to fruition, all of the idealism in the world isn't going to bring that team back. Yeah, and I think if anyone is well-positioned to bring the team back, it's the group that's currently running the Rochester Lancers. Right, and which, have, which have done very well. Yeah, they've brought back the... Uh, they, they essentially brought back women's soccer and bought out the skeleton Western New York Flash. And uh, they've... Uh, started working with the MASL now. They've gone from M2 into the top arena league. They've got an NPSL team, and they're doing pretty well. They're drawing fans. The guys who are running it are all long-term veterans of Rochester soccer who have been around since the 80s. It's the exact sort of guys you'd want to be in charge for Rochester soccer, and I've actually been hoping that maybe they decide to, you know, just buy out what's left of the Rhinos. And even if they decide to get rid of the Rhinos' name and make it a pro Lancers, Rochester is too iconic of a place, and that stadium is just sitting empty. It makes so much sense. Yeah, and I think a, a partnership between them would make a lot of sense mm-hmm. um, if, if an outright purchase isn't possible. Um, but you're right. What they've done is really impressive. And when people talk about the concept of local ownership being so important in lower division soccer and having teams succeed, that's that's the type of ownership they're talking about. Yeah. Um, soccer Sam, Sal Fantauzo. 
He's he is the Rochester soccer guy. He runs the Rochester soccer show dating back to 1995. He runs a pretty famous local pizza chain he's he's just a a rochester icon and if you get him involved with a team it tends to do really well yeah and i'm so i mean people that i've talked to about this could tell you i'm not very bullish on rochester as a city (laughs) um I, i mean you know i've i'm from the i'm from the general area and um spend a lot of time thinking about soccer in new york and new jersey and uh you know, the demographics aren't great for Rochester. The population shrinkage isn't great. But and I don't know if it'll ever get back to like a USL championship division two market, much less MLS. But for a USL one market, it would be it would be great. It's still a great fit. Exactly. And if they can convert, you know, some of the attendance they've had indoors with the the uh, Lancers, you know, averaging twenty eight forty one for indoor, that's a pretty solid thing to build around. And if you can have a, a baseline three thousand average or so, you're in better shape than the Rhinos were at the end. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, like, pretty much every lower division soccer team that isn't one of the best drawing teams would probably take that trade off. I I would take that level of fans. Oh yeah, yeah, that's and that was about the number that Lansing said they needed consistently to survive in league one and that's a pretty good thing that like just basic numbers we can say that if if the lancers and rhinos were to work together they would probably do just fine yeah they would draw the necessary crowds they would they would probably see a bump returning to the pro game you 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 have something there and if you can get it to work and if you have soccer sam signing off and like being the the face of the franchise for rochester He's the sort of guy who knows how to get people to go to a soccer game. If anybody can do it in Rochester, it's him. He's done it with four different teams since the 80s. You know, I, I would trust him more than just about anybody else. Pretty much. In that, in that city, absolutely. Take, take him, maybe take a couple marketing tips from the guys over in Madison and, and throw that on the ground in Rochester, and I think you're doing, you're doing just fine. Exactly. And then now let's maybe think about we we heard some rumors that we were going to see some more teams dropping for 2020. Who do you think is going to end up dropping for 2021 from the championship? So it's so interesting because we so going into the 2020 season, right, there were so many so many rumors of the two would be teams going down and and really trying to make the USL championship an independent league, fully independent. Mm -hmm. I think ultimately you're still going to end up there. I think if this whole pro rel thing that's been in the air from Jake Edwards, you know, and, and the USL organization comes to fruition eventually, then you maybe sort of let it play out with the two and B teams, let the good ones end up in the championship, let the, you know, less focused ones end up in League One. But for the time being, while that doesn't exist, I think the drive is to get them down. And I think a, a lot of the rumors that we heard this winter um, stemmed from discussions between MLS and USL on what was going to happen with those teams. And clearly I think what they've what they've settled on is it seems like the newer forming teams, the New Englands and the Miamis, are starting in League One. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the teams that are currently in the championship, barring a desire to drop down, are currently staying in the championship. I would imagine as that relationship continues to develop, there will be an increased push to get those two and B teams out. Um 
and, and I'm particularly not not necessarily the Red Bull twos who are like competitive every year among the you know the top teams in the league, but there there's a few that are like you know Tacoma that really just don't compete or the Timbers too that just don't compete frequently. Yeah. And, and there's also been what I think is going to be more than likely the catalyst for pushing teams down is USL has been pushing to raise the standards up for the championship. And as they send those to or present those standards to MLS, we've seen some pushback on that front and USL can basically be like, we're setting, you know, we're drawing a line in the sand you have to do this, this, and that for your two team. And if you're not willing to do that, well, hey, here's another league for you to play in. Yeah, and, and that that give and take between MLS and USL is such a dynamic moving relationship. Um, you know, it was crucial to USL's survival in the post-breakaway era in the 2010, 2011, 2012 um, as the league reestablished itself. And then, you know, the two teams really benefited it. But, you know, unless unless USL long term is going to go in to compete against MLS and maybe try to get a Division One league going longer term, you still have to sort of nurture that relationship with MLS, right? Because that's ultimately where your players are going. MLS is still looking at your teams right now is, as far as they're expanding. You know, that, that relationship is still, it's still necessary in a way. Yeah, and... It's it's something that USL has still said that they like having, and I've even talked with some of the League One people, and they say that simply knowing that there's some MLS-backed teams in League One to help just anchor it, that, you know, it's not the best situation to be playing in, but if you're trying to get started, to just know that your league is going to be around, your league is going to have 10 or so teams consistently, and a lot of these teams have a lot more backing to them than, say, your random startup indie teams. It's It's been a big point for them to say, we're, we're a lot more comfortable launching now because we know that the likelihood of this league just collapsing is pretty slim. Right, and it's it's definitely a stabilizing force, and I guess I would call it, at this point, a necessary evil. If you start getting more independent interest in league one and you can really flesh flesh it out and grow it and then maybe it's not such a necessary evil maybe you can get rid of it longer term um but we saw it's it's not the first time we've ever seen a league try to establish stability by relying on another bigger league right because mm-hmm. that's sort of what the mpsl looked to do back in the nasl's uh in quotes heydays yeah right there was there was lots of talk of a partnership there and and housing nasl reserve teams and mpsl teams moving up and eventually theoretically introducing a pro rail structure so it's definitely a tool in a league's arsenal in in this u.s soccer system Mm -hmm. and and we've definitely seen the benefit to player development for both the independents and the affiliated or mls operated teams that a lot of guys who are coming through academies now are playing a good amount of USL minutes, and that's been pretty vital for their development, that it's it's a system that's working. Yeah, and I mean, USL is really pushing, really, really pushing their new academy structure and getting teams off the ground. And, you know, the DA is sort of, ex- is sort of exclusionary in a lot of ways. Um, and so this USL academy that's really getting off the ground now could be a huge part of that too. And and overall, I mean, if you've watched USL for 
any amount of time, you can just see visually the the difference in the quality of play from exactly. from the earlier days. If you watch a a Phoenix Rising play a New Mexico United, that game's highly entertaining to watch. That, that I would argue that the USL Championship in 2019 was hitting some of the the same level of play as the pre Beckham era MLS. I, I think that's probably true. It's 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 grown remarkably from from the you know early 2010s. Yeah, and I think USL League One is now. It almost feels like those early days, right? Of yeah, the, of the exactly. modern USL era. And that's why it's been it's 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 brought back a lot of the same chaos and fun of say you know the 2012 USL Pro season when I was really heavily invested in early USL and you know we we've got some of those those crazy teams coming around we haven't yet got uh, a replacement for my beloved Antigua Barracuda but well I mean hey if you're willing to go down to a uh, USL League Two. We do have a team in Bermuda now. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I'm very familiar with them. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not. It's not the same as Antigua Barracuda. And they're not that playing in a, a cricket stadium either. So it's like, why even bother? <laughs> or entirely on the road. <laughs> yeah, or entirely on the road. That, that's um, such a such a, a a weird, uniquely weird story for uh, American soccer that I just love. Yeah, that's that's one of those like legacy things we'll look back on in like fifty years and be like, "What a time!" Oh yeah, what a time! But um, to close out our USL one talking, I figure we'll stick pro, right? We'll go to we'll talk a little USLC and MLS after this. Yeah. But to close out our USL one talking, so we we brought up forward Madison uh, a little bit earlier, but um, and as anybody knows, they've been they've been like the darlings of lower division soccer this year, right? They came they came from their founding and they just became a force. Oh yeah, just an online force. And so, uh, on on uh, on sock takes actually, you can download a. I don't know if there's how many of you out there play Football Manager. Um, I mean, it's definitely on the nerdier spectrum of things. But if you do play that, uh, there is a regional pyramid that I built in the editor that's available for download. And Forward Madison, seeing that, uh, hopped on that and created a challenge for people to take over Forward Madison in this regional four-tier pyramid, get them promoted to the top and win some silverware. And they're sending people autographed, you know, handwritten letters from uh, from the head coach out there. And it's a really cool little, like it's it's those sorts of like little pieces of fan engagement that have made Madison as great as they are, right? And and this is the 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 big guy that we can all point to at Madison that we, we know has been a big force for a lot of this is Mr. Peter Wilt who is just unbelievable when it comes to launching a team like this. He was instrumental in, in the 11 doing a lot of this stuff earlier on. And if anybody knows how to harness the internet for fan engagement and growing a brand, it's, it's Peter Wilt. Yeah. And I mean, even, even, you know, the people at the league office who, you know, have known and, and, you know, Wilt's been around for a long time. So he's no stranger to anybody in lower division soccer. And now he's moved over to the USL League office to help help with community engagement, supporter group engagement, fan engagement, which is just a great place for him. Just a great place for him. If you want to see fan support develop in USL, like you can't have a better person in the in the, in the head office, you know, helping guide that than Oh Will. yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's it's it was a it was a really great move for him, but you're right, his legacy at Madison is gonna be 
the the quirky fun characteristics of this team that make them such a joy to interact with and and they they also represent the the quirkiness of their city in such a fantastic way that they are the move over cincinnati everybody wants to be the next madison right exactly they they they're hyper local in that way that everybody wants to be right they they know what makes madison madison and they embrace it and they they push it and and they've been such a fantastic cultural ambassador for the weird Wisconsin way of life. Yeah, and they just have beautiful uniforms. They do. I mean, we could we could we could you know extol their virtues pretty much the rest of this pod because they don't really do much wrong. No, they um, they really don't. And the the attempts between myself and the team to bring this gigantic metal flamingo from Las Vegas to Madison that ultimately did fall apart, but like. The fact that this team is saying, yeah, we'll help pay for this, and U-Haul stepped up, like a bunch of Twitter memeage almost turned into a cross-country road trip to haul a gigantic metal flamingo statue. <laughs> and that was that was so fun to see come off the ground. Like, just the fact that th- these people were, A, in Vegas, just throwing away this gigantic metal flamingo, and that <laughs> it somehow all came together just on Twitter that they wanted this flamingo. You were going to literally fly out there, get a U-Haul, drive it to them. This was going to be just incredible. Yeah, the the shopping mall that bought it ultimately has decided that they're not in the market to sell at this time. They have said if they do want to do something different and get rid of it, that we'll be the first to know. So while Mingo, yeah, while Mingo or Bust... It's not bust yet, but we have not achieved full mango. <laughs> yet. Yet. We will get there. We will get there. <laughs> um, so to move it up a division, let's get into some USL championship stuff. Because, you know, I think I think well, uh, we'll see USL League 1 develop a little more as we go through the season. We'll start hearing some rumors of teams for 2021. I mean, that's already started with Lakeland, so we'll see where that ends up. But for the championship, it's also been a pretty significant offseason. Oh yeah. They've they've uh we we've got finally some uh some fresh blood coming in again. We've got a uh, uh Miami FC, it, well, legally speaking, the Miami the FC. Miami FC. <laughs> because technically uh Bill Peterson in Tampa Bay owns their the name Miami FC. <laughs> yeah, yes, Mr. Edwards, the uh Or Bill Edwards, yeah. The uh, former Rowdies owner, because Rowdies are now owned by the Rays, um, still owns uh, both both Miami FC, which was tied to the to the Fort Lauderdale Strikers name, and he still owns the Fort Lauderdale Strikers name as well, which is too bad for Inter Miami FC too. Yeah, which that... still doesn't have a brand, by the way. No, they're just called Inter Miami FC USL, which is like. <laughs> At least Whatever. you're honest. Yeah, it, it it does what it says on the tin. <laughs> and <laughs> but um, that's but, a big right. get for yeah. for USL is is Miami has been one of the toughest teams around in any league they've played in since their second NASL season. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Alessandro Nesta helped lay the roots down there with uh, Ricardo Silva, and they stormed through the 2017 NASL season, winning 21 of 32 games. And then when the NASL folded, they went to NPSL and bossed the league around. Yeah. and Which, I mean, you'd hope they would. Yeah, absolutely. And if if they can recapture the, the fan base they were able to pull in 2017 in the NASL when they were regularly drawing 
north of 5,000, they're going to be in excellent shape. And I have full confidence that they'll be able to do that. Even with uh, Miami joining an MLS, they're sort of playing in a, a, a different part of town. And the Miami area is pretty massive. Some might even say it's not quite in town. Yeah. Um, so, right, you have Inter-Miami launching out in Fort Lauderdale at the former Lockhart Stadium site. And it's uh, essentially just going to become new Lockhart. Yeah, yeah, new Lockhart, which, uh, I mean, looks pretty cool. Yeah. Not in Miami, but looks pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then you have this USL League One team, um, their, their B team, which, I mean, you'd expect wouldn't draw terribly well, much like most B teams. Mm-hmm. So I think for, my, for the Miami FC, um, playing, you know, much more, you know, centrally in Miami at Ricardo Silva Stadium uh, at, a, at the campus of FIU, there's an there's absolutely people around them to draw on that aren't going to go to these Miami games. Like if even even if you just focus on say the college student market in that area, you've got a, a, a that's basically the the perfect demographic to pull from. You know, you've got kids who are going to be there. Uh, particularly if you're staying around over the summer or if you live off campus full time and that's a massive school that it it's if you can get one in five students to at least come to a game simply by walking around the campus and having players you know kicking around on on the campus lawns that could be enough to bring in a pretty strong crowd every game yeah, I mean, I think I don't. I think the move to USLC will help them to kind of promote themselves. Um, Silva's a smart businessman. The reason he Miami FC has survived as long as they have, the reason that you know he's stayed involved in lower division soccer as long as he has, is because he has an idea of what he's doing. Yeah, um, he's and, he's and not I, just a good business guy. He's also got experience in soccer business in particular. Right. So I, I you know, you would trust him to market well. And get that crowd in. Mm-hmm. And um, oh god, his his whole ability to to work on sports business as a as a primary focus is exactly what you'd need to to put up a fight against an MLS team. And if he can have the same sort of success that we've seen, say, in the LA area with the various other lower division teams that aren't in downtown that still survive. Like Orange County still does pretty well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if they simply say, why drive, you know, why drive all the way up to Fort Lauderdale when you can just stay right here? Right. Yeah. You have, you have a, a local team right around you. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's interesting that, you know, bringing up competing against sort of the MLS team, but we've seen sort of more of that, coming from usl a mm-hmm. desire to go into markets they previously wouldn't have because of mls presence so in addition to miami the league also announced the addition of queensboro fc mm-hmm. um which is out stationed by uh for those of you not as familiar with new york city uh it's in queens by this big train exchange terminal called jamaica station it's very close to that it's on a subway line it's on a bus line it's near jamaica it's very easy to access so it's a very clever place to launch a usl championship team and i think the real coup of it and particularly as an nycfc fan i've talked to you know my fellow season ticket holders my fellow you know people writing about the team and uh to have 
David Villa is sort of the face of it is just such a such a you know a stroke of inspiration because he knows the city people in the city respect him he spent years here as the face of new york city fc um and that's sort of another team that's going to pull they're in my opinion they're i think they're building like a 7500 seat modular stadium they're going to fill that every single game it's going to be incredibly successful just based off of what they've done so far yeah there's no Um, reason to think new york city can't be for american soccer what London is in England of a massive sprawling metropolis that's got different regional or, you know, different cultural pockets within the city that, you know, you can have the Bronx as the New York City FC territory, the uh, eastern side of it or western side of it being more of the Red Bulls territory, Queensboro out in Queens and maybe even the Cosmos want to be the Brooklyn or the Long Island team. Like, either way, there's there's enough space, enough people, and enough regional di- or cultural differences around New York City that multiple different teams can be supported. Yeah, so I think the dream, the dream as a New York City soccer fan is you have NYCFC up in in the Bronx, like you said, you have Queensboro in Queens. You get the Cosmos back to MCU Park in Brooklyn, which was a great home for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the Red Bulls can stay out in Jersey, whatever. I don't care about them. <laughs> uh, give them Staten Island; they can have that. Um, but but re- realistically, the Newark area is also a huge, huge metro area and, and could definitely support a team. And I've long maintained that they should just embrace that and go full Newark branding because that's a great city with with a huge population that would go see this team. Yeah. Um, but there's two other rumored additions um, to drop us back into speculation time a little. Um, Chris Kivlihan was reporting that Nisa is looking at adding a second New Jersey team. Mm. Um, he, and he's reporting that they're thinking of adding a New York City team as well in the Bronx, a bit further north in New York City FC, up near Fordham University, playing mm-hmm. at that university soccer field. And supposedly with the branding New Amsterdam FC, which, I mean, I think is pretty cool branding. I'm not hugely sold on the location, but theoretically, if those two teams launch, and sorry, this is the other piece of that, the Long Island Rough Riders out way out in Suffolk County on the island yeah. have been trying to build a stadium in Ronkonkoma for a 5,000-seater to facilitate a professional move as well, potentially the USL League One. So you could theoretically have Long Island Rough Riders, Cosmos, Queensboro, New York City, New Amsterdam, Red Bulls, and then the New Jersey team. Seven teams in the New York City metro area by 2021-2022. And then, you know, the obvious thing is to have a big New York City preseason tournament. Which would be great. Get all of the teams together, play somewhere, like, nice and centrally. Maybe even, like, build a temporary venue I, I think know, the crazy just, thing would be like maybe, you know, find space in Central Park, like the Central Park Great Lawn, put a temporary venue right there and like the Central Park Classic, invite all the pro teams and maybe some of the amateur and NPSL sides and just have a gigantic New York City tournament. That would be so much fun. Get do it do it on Pier you know, Pier 40. Go, go, oh, go yeah, Pier expand 40. out on the field there and play it on the Hudson River. That, that would, would be beautiful. That would be I, I would fly out for that. I've never been to New York City, and I would fly out for that. Oh, well, you should come. You should come visit. I, I want to. <laughs> I look forward to the day when I can have an MLS 
USL Championship and USL League One team that I can root for straight down the line, New York City, Queensborough, and the Rough Riders I'd probably go for. And then I can have a team in each division and in NISA that I can hate too. Yeah. It would be great. For me, I've just adopted Oklahoma City as my USL Championship team because as a Texan, the idea of like, oh, Oklahoma City, it's only a two and a half hour drive away. That's easy. <laughs> so how, how will you feel when... Because uh, cause theoretically to bring it back to more speculation time, we've heard reports that the Houston Dynamo RGV partnership is going to end. Oh, yeah. And so RGV might go independent. Which I think the fact that they've been hiring some staff yeah. from some of the other notable teams suggests that they're already putting together a little group down there that's going to be their own thing pretty soon. Yeah, particularly Ron Patel... Yeah. from New Mexico United, who, I mean, if you've known anything about New Mexico United this year, they were incredibly successful, you know, over like, what, 11,000 fans a game, the deep U.S. Open Cup run, playoffs in USL, like, he he did a great job, him and that organization did a great job with that team. So to have him come to RGV and, and try to help them transition into independence would be, would be really great. Yeah, and it, it's also looking like the Dynamo are probably simply just going to drop another two-team in League One and play at BBVA and just call it a day. Yep. Which just means that North Texas SC gets another road trip. Gets another road trip, gets a little bit closer of a road trip, and puts another little marker on the map that FC Tucson can get to a little easier. Yeah, and then we get to go in and invade Houston another three to four times a season, which is always a good thing. Right, always welcome. Um so there's there's so much going on in, in the USL Championship and moving pieces. And um, another one of those pieces, um, we'll talk about two that are sort of in question at the moment. But one that seems like it's going forward uh, is Des Moines. Mm-hmm. And Des Moines has been home to the menace in the PDL and USL League 2 since the mid-90s. That organization has been around forever. They draw really well, like 2,000 people a game. For, and for USL League 2, that's that's really good. Um, and now it seems like the stadium project in Des Moines is going to come to fruition. And uh, we've seen rumors of positions being hired. I think there's still a position posted on the USL uh, teamwork site for a, not a club president, but a, a COO, some some high-ranking executive for an unnamed, you know, Midwestern team. Yeah, and... Uh, in a previous Sock Takes pod, we actually had, we've had various Des Moines Menace people on, and at the time, they were hinting at, we've got pro aspirations, but we're going to take our time and do it right, and they've said that if they go pro, they're going to go in the USL system, and everything so far, they haven't said it's the Des Moines Menace yet, but it's it's almost certainly going to be the Des Moines Menace moving up. I see literally no reason why they should change what's already been such a long-standing success in in League Two level. Like for what is still an amateur team, they've been excellent. You know, drawing crowds of you know up to five thousand at times, and mm-hmm. don't change yeah. a thing. Just keep it, take it, move it up. Don't change a thing. Wholly agree. And I think, you know, you get situations like Lansing where this new owner comes on board and he wants the brand to align more with his, you know, minor league baseball team. So he rebrands. But in this case, it seems like the same people in charge. So you would hope that they would do that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And speaking and speaking of teams that draw really well in USL League Two that could move up at some point, um, as the Michigan Bucks with Dan Duggan in charge, I don't think there was any interest in going to League One or mm-hmm. going professional. But I think now, with the move to Flint, with the drawing of almost eight thousand people to the League Two final in August, and with the new ownership involved, I think you could see that team potentially move up too. And Atwood is really not a bad venue at all, even if no, it is you could do way worse football turf with, you know, playoff lines on it. Having a venue that's that nice would be, I think, pretty, pretty fantastic for them to have. And they that makes you're right. Flint, especially, I think they're going to watch what happens for the Michigan Stars in Detroit City in Nisa. And if things look like they go really well in this first year, they're probably just going to be like, yep, we're moving up. Yeah, you got to gotta keep up to compete. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think you're right. I think that venue would be a coup for League One. And I, I think there's no reason why if, if such a longstanding team as the Bucks and one that's been so successful um, both in the league and the U.S. Open Cup, if they wanted to go up, they've shown they can beat pro teams. They've oh, yeah. done it as an amateur team. So. It, it just makes a lot of sense if that's what the owners decide they want to do. Yeah, they, they beat Indy in the Open Cup. They've taken the fight to pro to MLS teams. And, like, yeah, it's, it's getting out of Pontiac was the right move. Yep. And the new brand is pretty strong with just a couple of little tweaks that would work just fine in USL. And they're already within the USL system that, uh, I, I'd imagine they they're probably League One's probably kicking the tires on them already. Yeah, it would be it would be shocking if they weren't. Um, and and yeah, I, you know, I share your sort of reservations about the branding a little bit. I liked the, the Bucks brand. I still have the scarf hanging in my room. <laughs> I you know I just have a I have walls of scarves. So do I. Um, of course. <laughs> of course. And so you know that Bucks brand will always be in my heart. Uh, you couldn't really find a much better guy to run a lower division team than Duggan either. Yeah. Who's and, done it for so many years. And if, if if we end up with them and Des Moines moving up together, like I could definitely see a Des Moines and Flint like Midwestern rivalry forming. And then if they're all in the championship, you know, you've got Des Moines, St. Louis, maybe we got to talk about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but Indy, definitely. It would just, it'd be fun and it would make the Open Cup just a little bit more fleshed out in the Midwest. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. A lot of like the fleshing out of the soccer landscape is focused on the Southeast in recent years, but the Midwest has also definitely seen a, a boom of its own, which has been really nice. Yeah, and, and it's also looking like the, the, the nice thing is, is a lot of the reservations I had in the past about the rapid USL expansion of the long-term viability of a lot of these teams, a lot of those fears have kind of dissipated in recent years because, like, you know, Charlotte Independents are still sticking it out. Uh, OKC is still doing all right. Sacramento is finally moving up. Phoenix is solid. OK, uh, Orange County is solid. Like, teams are that had some pretty shaky starts are now building their own stadiums and even moving up to MLS. Yeah, I, I agree. There's been definitely more stability and, and, and to a degree, you know, you're seeing teams that are not starting in USL looking to move to MLS at some point, but you're seeing teams that are in USL for the long haul, 
Yeah. And these are going to be strong teams. Like New Mexico United is it's probably not an MLS team long-term, not an MLS market. But what they're starting in the USL championship is something special. And I don't think that, that I don't think those fans are waiting for MLS. I think they're saying, you know, I think more, more fans of more teams are saying USL championship is our league and yeah. we're, we're not going to MLS, but we're going to support him here. Yeah, like, and you're seeing a lot of success. Birmingham and even Tampa Bay and Indy and San Antonio and Tulsa and Colorado Springs and Louisville. Like there's a lot of, places that they might not they could have like an outside chance of sneaking into mls but if they are in usl forever they're like hell yeah this is fun this is a great right. league they're like we're gonna do we're gonna be the best team we can be in this place yeah and, and i think that's what the league needs and, and that's um, the thing we've always been hoping for that a lot of the staunchest pro rel advocates would say is you're never going to see teams that are just happy to be D2 forever. And, well, it looks like, yeah, we are. We're seeing quite At a least lot of some. them. At least some. And I think, I mean, being one of those, it's funny, like, you know, we've, we've talked about this, but having worked at USL, people assume that I'm, like, super, you know, the system, the man, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. But you, you, you and Nipun and Kev all know I'm way more in the middle of the spectrum than a lot of people assume and so as a pro rel guy who'd like to see it not not a not a ted pro rel guy but like a sane pro rel guy like you're just left of uh you're you're like just left of kiv lahan yeah yeah right me and me and kiv lahan agree on quite a bit um which is which was surprising to both of us when we realized that yeah um because we were pretty contentious at the very beginning of like our our relationship and now it's like I, I'm DMing him constantly and just and messaging him constantly. Yeah. Um, Back in the old sock takes versus midfield press rivalry days. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I remember like when midfield press first got off the ground, man, what a, what a time that was. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's always good to have more coverage of, of lower division soccer. There's not enough of it. And, and, and what Chris does is so good. And the town turns out is big enough. Twitter is big enough for the both of us. <laughs> yeah. If anything, it makes it, it makes it more fun. Oh yeah. Um, so let's touch on on two more quick USL championship points, and then we can touch very quickly on some of this MLS stuff that we've got, and then probably leave the amateur stuff for next time. Yeah, that sounds so like a plan. To hit these last two USL championship points, we have Austin, which currently has a team, but we don't know for how long, and Boise, which doesn't have a team, seemed like it was going to have a team, and is now more up in the air. So starting with Austin, MLS obviously has Austin FC launching in 2021. Their season ticket deposits have been insane. Seems like it's going to be really well supported. And uh, frankly, from what I've heard from from Austinites is that the the stuff that the bold owner did during FC's push to move there or to try to move the crew there did not sit well with a lot of people in Austin. Yeah. And, and that's Austin is a very... Austin is like the, the the meme is keep Austin weird, but Austin is weird, and not like in the guy juggling while riding a unicycle way, but like in the very anti-authoritarian. So the the fact that the the that uh, Epstein down there with Austin Bold was uh, really, yeah, Bobby Epstein, the chairman of the racetrack, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, what he was trying to do with messing with the politics and stirring up, uh, 
you know, campaigns and outright lying to people. They look at this as like the man. And yeah. some guys say, you know, trying to tell people what to think and what to believe through disinformation. And that will never go over well in Austin. That's that's something they've got essentially zero tolerance for. And it shows in the attendance that Austin had one really big drawing game really early on, and then attendance immediately dropped. They went from 5,800 in the first game, standing room only, down to 1,600, and then pretty much stayed at or around 2,000 for most of the season. And even in the playoffs against, you know, Galaxy 2 is not a big draw, but they're still a good team. You'd expect that they'd be able to bring in more than 2,500 people for a playoff game or 2,500 people for an open cup game against San Antonio. And that was with a lot of traveling fans. That Austin doesn't, even without MLS coming in, doesn't have a lot of the signs of life that we look for. The The sponsorship has been okay, not great. The local community partnerships are non-existent. The website has been kind of bare of any additional stuff, and you're not seeing a lot of the weird local Austin things. You're seeing, like, Michelob as a sponsor, or Toro, or Twin Peaks, or Powerade, and, like, that's not what Austin is about. That's... Ops Austin would be, like, having a different local musician sing the anthem every night, and indie concerts on Fridays, and food trucks, and watch parties for away games all over town, and... The things that they're not playing to the strengths of Austin, and they're kind of way out there. So, to get from, say, downtown Austin to the track, it, you, you have to drive. There is, there is no other way of getting there than driving, and it's. It's a good 25-minute-ish drive past the airport. And the airport is considered to be, like, out of town. Mm-hmm. And Austin's public transit doesn't get outside of the city. Uh, unless there's a big race weekend going on, you're not going to see much going out to the circuit. And when there's a big race weekend going on, they're not playing games. Right, of course. Although it would be kind of cool if they did at the it, same oh, time. <laughs> I mean, like having having a, a, a soccer game like in between sessions at Formula One weekend would be awesome. I'd love it, but you know, it's there's still but some. It, yeah, definitely on. agree. Like agree on the general premise, though. It's, yeah, it's it hasn't captured the spirit of Austin. It's not particularly easy to get to. You have this new team coming to town, which seems like it's sticking to that Austin spirit much as much as I don't want to praise Anthony Precourt or anything that he does it it seems like it's going in the right direction in that respect yeah and and it's a lot of my thoughts are well why the hell couldn't he have done this in Columbus but what's done is done the crew are in better hands and like at this point if I'm just hoping that 
if Austin starts to do things really well, maybe it lights a fire under Clark Hunt's ass to maybe have him step up a little bit and focus a little bit harder on FC Dallas. And a better Texan competition pushes everybody to, you know, achieve higher because what was formerly a rather safe you know, we don't have to work too hard and we'll just have our consistent, we'll draw 15,000 fans and everything is fine. That's not the case if Austin takes things seriously. And even Houston fans are, are in agreement with a lot of Dallas fans that, like, if they do well, it's going to force things to get better for us. Right, sort of a rising tide lifts all boats sort of exactly. take on it. Exactly, and also the 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 uh, that said, there's still a ton of animosity among Texan soccer fans towards the Austin FC people. If if you got into Austin FC early on when they were still trying to move the crew, we hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and but that's what good rivalries are bred out of. Oh yes, and and the thing is, is Austin fans were like, we can't wait to be part of the Texas Derby. And the unanimous opinion from the Houston and Dallas fans was, what do you mean part of the Texas Derby? <laughs> right. It's sort of like you are you you can come in, you'll be the Vancouver to our Seattle and Portland. Yes. Nobody will really care about you. Yeah. And <laughs> it's not like it's not like we're not gonna invade their stadium every time we play, but if they think they're getting their hands on El Capitan, they've got another thing coming. <laughs> like I know weed is pretty common there, but that doesn't mean it's mandatory. <laughs> this is going to be see this is going to be fun this is why this is going to be fun uh, it is going to be fun i'm looking forward to it because like as much as dallas and houston hate each other and it, it's it's the hate that like red Sox and yankees fans have except for the entire city we all hate austin more <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of that uh I guess I'll I'll link it to my football world. As a Steelers fan, I I hate the Ravens, but I respect them because yes. they are hard nosed. They they play the right way. It's all you know, whatever. We hate each other. It's great. And then I hate the Bengals, and there's no respect there. And, <laughs> there's and, just hate. And it's it's not just a sports thing. Like it extends far beyond the confines of just a single sport or just sports as a whole. Like Dallas and Houston shit talk each other entirely independent of sports <laughs> like barbecue like Tex-Mex the 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 the, the de- debate over which city has better Tex-Mex which city has better barbecue it's Dallas it's not even a competition uh or the fried <laughs> so what chicken you're saying game. is I need to go to Dallas yes for the com- barbecue. come to Dallas for the barbecue the fried chicken the Tex-Mex we invented it all see that's that's what I need to hear that's yes. selfishly that's what I want to know yes and Dallas and Houston's like, yeah, fuck those guys. But and it's like, but fuck Austin more, those hippies. And then we, because of the the mass migration from the Bay Area, the the uh, the re- reference to Austin as uh, Silicon Hills, or more recently as the biggest suburb of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's 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 this different level of vitriol that you're either pro Austin, very pro Austin, or you're completely anti Austin. <laughs> and we and we see where which side of that fence you sit on. Oh yes, obviously. 
So overall, what it leads us to is that is that the bold are probably gonna are probably gonna struggle more so than they have when Austin FC launches. And, and there's, there's no real plan for what to do in that case other than to just try and keep doing this thing they've been trying. Which leads you to believe they're going to go the way of the, the Aztecs either the first or second time. Or the various other Austin teams that have come and gone in other leagues. Like, it's yeah. nobody has yet done Austin correctly. And as much as we hate Autism FC, they look like they're doing it. So, so granted, they'll, they'll, so granted Austin FC comes in, they do well, bold struggles. The, the presumptive, the presumptive idea would be either they fold or relocate. Um, if I'm them, I, I move to Round Rock. Interesting. Why do you say? Because Round Rock is far enough away that it's kind of its own little thing that, Round Rock is a good, say, 45 minutes out of the city and has its own pretty substantial metro area over by Round Rock, Cedar Park, Pflugerville, and even Leander and Georgetown. Like, you've got a good 500,000 people over there. And Round Rock has the closest minor league ballpark. It's the trip or the, yeah, AAA Round Rock Express. And like Dell Diamond works as a venue for uh, rugby. It's not fantastic, but it works. You could fit a soccer field in there. It wouldn't be fantastic. But if they wanted to move out there and then use some of the empty fields nearby to build a little soccer stadium, or even better, go into the Round Rock downtown area and work with uh, one of the schools in the area to build a, a mixed-purpose high school-slash-pro soccer field with maybe 7,500 seats. You could draw really well in Round Rock and survive as being less of an Austin thing and more of an Austin area thing hmm. and actually have a long-term chance at viability. Interesting. Interesting. So... To switch it to a different team in a similar situation, um, we know that Charlotte MLS is launching in 2021 as well, alongside Austin. Um, got in much later in the process, but money talks and David Tepper and you know all, it was the all perfect the things storm. about Charlotte. Yeah, perfect storm of of money, Bank of America Stadium, and seeing Atlanta United FC do so well on the back of Arthur Blank's money. Yeah. Um, but that leaves. Um, the independence sort of in a difficult situation. Um, and so I've, I've heard some rumors about what's going to happen to the independence. Uh, I haven't, so I haven't sourced them uh, out thoroughly. So they're still just rumors, but what I've heard is that despite some initial, you know, sort of not, not a warm relationship between the Charlotte MLS group and the independence that Charlotte MLS is considering buying out the independence owners and turning them into their USL affiliate. I can see that making a lot of sense and I can see um, Memorial or American Legion Memorial stadium serving as like a, a fantastic little USL venue slash training center 
slash yeah. the perfect open cup venue for early rounds. Like Right. And I think that's sort of where they're trying to go with it. I think I think what Charlotte MLS knows is that the independence, small as it may be, does have a fan base. And it's a Charlotte team. And yeah. if you come in and you kill another team in your city without much of a care, it's a bad look no matter how you do it. Even if it really doesn't impact your bottom line too hard, it's not a great look. Yeah. And so you can almost rope yourself out there as the savior, right? By doing this, mm-hmm. it definitely changes the independence from what they are, but it's that or sort of go up against Charlotte MLS, in which case, I, I don't know, what do you think you're doing? Probably not great. Yeah, and, and it's it's one of those situations that, unlike in Austin, there's no longstanding animosity between the two sides, and there's not really a lot of, uh, there wouldn't be a lot of pushback from Charlotte MLS working with the independents. Hell, I bet they, they may even look at, even though it wasn't a listed name, it wouldn't be a bad idea to simply try and bring the independence brand to MLS. Because that could even, you know, really incorporate them and be like, yeah, we're, we're going to respect what you've established and what you've built as a soccer culture with this little following to really incorporate it into MLS. Yeah, and I think I think it would be a good idea. I think it's probably not on the table, but it would be sort of a nice little homage. And even if um, it do- if even if that doesn't end up happening, the independence of brand even with the city, it's like they like it, but it's not it's not, you know, the loyalty you see for Sacramento or Louisville behind their brand that right. a a good Charlotte brand even if they do something like like the charlotte town or something like that like whatever they end up doing it's still going to probably work just fine and the the uh the queen's firm and the west end collective from the uh and the mint city collective have all been backing the independence already so you're gonna see pretty much everybody just move up like the fans have already been pretty united behind both teams yeah, and in speaking to, I mean, there's so I'm I'm you know familiar with the soccer and sweet tea crew and and their general going on goings ons. I'm in their Slack chat and I'm speaking with them ninety percent of my day. And there's definitely some people who Charlotte MLS is a divisive thing for a bit, but overall, it, I think it's been sort of an inevitability coming. It's sort of, it's been felt like it's coming for a little while. And I think everybody has sort of come to terms with it and what it means for all of these different organizations, for what it means for North Carolina FC up, you know, further north in the state, what it means for the independence, what it means for the battery in South Carolina. Um, So it's definitely there's a lack of animosity that there is in other places. That's absolutely true. Um, But to but I think everybody acknowledges that it's going to generally be successful. Um, And I and and so to just switch us over really quickly to Nashville. Nashville. Another, you know, Southeast city, prominent city, uh, getting an MLS team this season. It's been in USL the past few seasons. I want to say the move to MLS will change the upsetting trend we've seen in USL, which has been a declining attendance, not among those like a Sacramento or like a Cincinnati, or like a Louisville, much more in like the mid-tier range. Yeah. And 
has seen incredibly slow season ticket purchases. Yeah, it's uh, it's not looking great. It's it's not looking like uh, things are going particularly as expected from their perspective. Uh, I have a long list of grievances with the way Nashville is doing stuff. For one, I hate their crest. Oh, God. I wish they were just sticking with the USL one. The USL one is great. Or hell, even the old Nashville FC one would have been great. Like, they've they've had two really solid brands, and they've looked past them to give us uh, a Silicon Valley startup podcasting service logo. That really is what it looks like. Like, it's it's not good. I don't... I it, it, it feels arbitrary, and it feels boring and uninspired, and, ugh, like, they're still... They're still, like, not really doing things right with getting the local community to care... Still... I've heard there's a distinct lack of like advertising in the area. Yeah, that people haven't seen much marketing. That they're just not talking to them. Like the Wolf family and John Ingram, you know. Which is interesting because Ingram is like such a like the guy, right? In Nashville, he's he's the guy. Yeah. So you'd think in terms of like local ownership, again, this is sort of exactly like the perfect storm. And yet it just seems like there's a distinct lack of effort. And the, well, I mean, this isn't really up to them, but the leaked kits that we've seen from them aren't very good either. It's a first year MLS kit. They always suck. Talk about Cincinnati away last year. Yeah, they always suck. And then Ziggy Wolf doesn't live in Tennessee. (laughs) And this was a lot of the same pieces that we're looking to put a team in Minnesota and MLS turned them over as like not caring enough about soccer in Minnesota where they lived. Right. That, and so now we're in Nashville. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the roster looks pretty weak. There's, there's a couple of good players, but it's a lot of remember that guys. Uh, you've got, a coach who was okay in USL for two seasons. Like, Nashville wasn't bad, but an eighth place in a conference and a second place. Last year was good with all, like, the the bits and pieces of the MLS team. Like, that was fine. But, you know, MLS has announced you're moving up. Things are going well, and you draw 7,000 fans. And the thing with with the with the coach, right, is they gave him that contract extension midway through the USL season. But to me, that's so baffling because it's not like he's not going to be there at the end of the season to re-sign if you want him. So you're committing yourself to a guy who isn't isn't doing, like, exceptionally well in USL. And it sort of reminds me of, of, you know, Cincy bringing their coach up. And I think it's more of a leap coaching-wise than people think it is. Yeah, and also it's... it's that difference in between the talent level on average in the USL championship versus MLS that when you're spending 30,000 on average per player versus 130 or 150,000 on average per player that right you're talking about significantly different talent levels and guys who were starting in USL are going to be expected to start in MLS and 
that's ended in disaster for the past two teams that have moved up. Like, nothing looks right yet. Like, the, everything I, I, here feels like it's it's just they're making the wrong moves. It feels sort of half-baked, and, and the fans have sort of responded to that. Um, at, at the time when we, when we started putting together our list of things to talk about today, they had only sold about 5,000 season tickets. And I'm not sure where that number is now, but that's certainly not where you want to be. I mean, from what we hear, Charlotte's going to have to end up capping their tickets. Yeah. They're, they're going to have to, they're going to max out their season tickets and Nashville's not going to come close. They're actually, there, they, there was a report finally the other day that Nashville might sell out the lower bowl of Nissan Stadium for their debut against Atlanta United, which is about 26,000 people. And you compare that to sort of the MLS average and recent expansion team efforts, and you just say, for your debut at home against probably the biggest traveling support you're going to get all year, you're struggling to sell out a section of your home stadium. I mean, look at what Minnesota drew in their home opener, their inaugural game. Back in 2017, Minnesota managed to bring in 35,000 people and pretty much like pack what they would sell at that stadium. You know, mm-hmm. Mi- Minnesota did really well. Orlando's debut game filled uh, the whatever or Orlando Bowl stadium is, mm-hmm. the Citrus Bowl. Like, yeah, even even you know same years Orlando, you know NYCFC. I don't remember what they drew the opener against New England. I think they sold out what was open in Yankee Stadium. It was around thirty thousand, and then for games that they opened up the upper tier, they were doing forty something thousand people. Yeah, and so for Nashville to only open with twenty six thousand, and you know that that number is going to decline. It's not going to stay as the opener is usually the high point. And and when they announced that they had five thousand season tickets. It was also revealed by Third Degree, where I also write for, that FC Dallas has more season tickets right now than Nashville. And FC Dallas is notoriously bad at selling season tickets. And has been, you know, and these are season tickets that have existed for, you know, decades now. Yeah, like if... There's a a certain level of attrition. If the attention they're getting right now is on par with what we're getting, they might average around 15K for an expansion side. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, right, if, if you assume all 5,000 season ticket holders come, you're asking 10,000 other individuals a game to come to average 15,000. Yeah, and that's something that even— It's a tall order. Yeah, it's a tall order. It's it's not looking good. It's, it's looking like a lot more MLS 1.0 type logic. It, it definitely feels— retro in that way and you compare it to their their expansion you know siblings in miami who at the time of that five thousand season ticket report were supposed supposedly had three times that amount yeah it's 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 not going well (laughs) and then there's their roster (laughs) right which is you know a a smorgasbord of mls castoffs usl you know we'll, we'll call them usl standouts who, they were pretty good players, but, you know, that's a different level than an MLS standout. Um, and also, they're bringing up guys who weren't even able to regularly start in USL up to MLS mm-hmm. to about the same extent or greater than Cincinnati. Yeah, and I think what's—you saw the result of that with Cincinnati, and I think what, what they did subsequently was quickly to realize their mistake— 
they're they're basically in the process of fully deconstructing and reconstructing their roster now and they said hey you know come 2021 season that's when we're targeting playoffs we need time to rebuild we'll figure it out we'll come back we'll be good and it feels like nashville is about what is it january 25th uh check with me in like five months and see if nashville's come to the same realization and rebuild I'm even going to go out on a limb and say that we're going to see at least two members of either the between the 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 central management and coaching staff out of a job by August 1st. It wouldn't shock me. I you know what? That would I wouldn't shock me at all. I I think more than likely we're going to see probably if anybody's seat is particularly hot it's Mike Jacobs and Gary Smith. If Yeah. And if, if, if they have won fewer than five games by the midpoint in the season, they're probably gone. Oh, I mean, you'd hope so. Yeah. yeah nobody ex- is expecting that poor performance, even if that seems like where they're heading. Yeah, and, and they've been thinking internally, or at least from what they've been saying of what they're looking for, is like they'd like to sneak into the playoffs. This is not a roster that sneaks into the playoffs. This is a roster that loses to a USL team in the Open Cup, and it's not even close. Yeah, you know what? I bet it'll be fun to see if they do. Yeah, like like um, with a new setup, it'd be even more funny if it's like Memphis knocks them out in the first game they play. That would be a treat, or or one of the Chattanoogas. Yeah, like losing to Chattanooga FC would be like the you you done fucked up. <laughs> It would well. First of all, it would be uh, that side of lower division soccer Twitter's like greatest dream, right? It's it would be Chattanooga FC, the fan owned, you know, built from the ground up, sticking it to this epitome of MLS expanding too fast, too poorly, with too much vetting, right? Or yeah. too little vetting. Yeah. It would be the it would be the summation of all of that frustration. And then that we'd even you know be like seeing. The, the memes would be amazing. The memes on, on soccer Twitter would be absolutely stellar and honestly would probably just make – if we end up with a NISA team and an MLS team having a rivalry that's one-sided because of the NISA team being better, it inject would just it be into so my sweet. veins. It would be so sweet. We would have to expand uh, Meme Monday on our MLS to uh, just a full meme week for that. That that <laughs> would we – would, we would relax the wor- rules and just like – and let him go. You let him go for a week. <laughs> You've got a full week to get it out of your system, and that's not enough time. <laughs> so, um, let's get to let's let's close out right. Yeah. With the next logical place for MLS, so they're going to thirty-two teams. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much just accepted. Yeah, they're going to thirty-two. So we have five top candidates, probably top candidates. We could probably throw Louisville in there as well, but the five top candidates are probably Vegas uh indy phoenix tampa and detroit if you had to pick your two markets to go into for 31 and 32 assume assume that expansion stops after this because i don't think it will but assume it stops after these two teams who are the two that you're letting in top pick right now for me is phoenix Hmm. phoenix rising in particular Mm -hmm. i i think that of all the teams they they're the most like upwardly mobile at the moment and then closely behind them, it's a coin flip between Las Vegas Lights and Indy 11. Mm-hmm. I think both of them have pretty valid claims to make for an MLS bid. I think the new stadium they're building in Indianapolis looks fantastic. I think that the uh, 
the future growth for Indy. Like they, they, yeah, they've they've got their stadium funding passed. It's it's they're just wait, waiting to break ground, and right. everything looks like it's it's good to go. Shovels are about to hit the dirt. Vegas, it's all about the stadium, and on stadium requirements alone, I think I'd give the tip to Tampa. The renderings they showed of an expanded Al Lang Mm -hmm. look absolutely fantastic. I would love to see that in MLS. I think, and Al Lang's a beautiful stadium by itself. Al Lang is already amazing, and it's 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 such a uniquely MLS or uniquely American venue of converting a ballpark like that. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see it in MLS. I think the Rowdies would be great to be back in a top flight. I I honestly think it's probably going to be Phoenix and then one of those three. I think Detroit and to MLS has kind of essentially fallen apart. Mm. And there's just no demand from the fans of soccer in the city for that. Without Detroit City being involved, and Detroit City's never going to be involved. No, I agree. So, so that's interesting. So, if I had to pick two, just to run you through this, I agree with you on Phoenix number one. Yes. I think Phoenix has has almost Atlanta level potential. Yes. And if if Phoenix starts up and gets going, it its peak is so high, um, and and it's currently going. Uh, oh, yeah. Sam Sam Deller and the guys over there have done such a good job. I know he moved; he just moved actually to the Arizona Coyotes in the NHL to work for them. But what they built over the past few years has been amazing. Um, I'd probably then go Vegas as my number two, mm-hmm. just because I, you know, you have the championship team there doing well, so there's clearly demand for soccer. It's just becoming a bigger sports city. Leagues want to be there. You know, sports gambling is getting big, and it's good to have a presence there. I think it just it just makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons for MLS. I would put Indy below that, though I think Tampa has a higher ceiling. The reason that Tampa is fourth instead of third is because I think the Rays ownership just has no capability of running an MLS team. It has no desire to. It's not if it did, it wouldn't do it well. I just I don't think I don't think I think Tampa was done when Bill Edwards sold the team. Yeah. Um. I think Indy is third because of that stadium that you mentioned, which is, you know, shovel ready. Um, however, it doesn't make the top two cut for one reason for me, which is it's, it's well supported. It's great. It's got great support. Um, the fans that, that, you know, follow it in USL championship. I mean, what is it? Average 12,000 people a game. Yeah. 11,000. It's great. Um, however, I think with the city of Indianapolis, you have, there's, there's a, I think there's a cap. I think there's a cap. I don't see the ceiling for Indianapolis being as high as a Phoenix or a Vegas or a Tampa or a Detroit. It's got the lowest ceiling of these five cities to me. The one asterisk to that, though, is if hypothetically Indy 11 can work out a deal with IndyCar and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and with its new ownership Roger under Roger Penske to just closer tie and cross-market stuff between the two— then you see that ceiling that raising. ceiling goes up substantially <laughs> simply okay, because so they have they have potential there they do not maybe atlanta level potential but twenty seven thousand a game is not out of the question 
which I think you you take if you're MLS. I think Pretty MLS happily. very happily will take that with a, a paid off, ready to go stadium. If if this new stadium can help get them to like a 15, 18k average consistently, and you know you've got that sort of Sacramento effect in place. Mm-hmm. S- Sacramento finally getting added, I think, changes things for the better, and would gives a lot of hope back to your Louisville, your Indies, and right. Tampa Bay your smaller tier cities teams. that aren't necessarily huge with like huge media market potential, but could 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 execute that potential better than maybe some of those big cities could. Yeah, that that whole point of so loud you can't they can't ignore you any longer. Right, and. That that's a big deal. That's that's gonna make a difference for the future, and also I'm putting a big fat press X to doubt X on MLS capping at 32. Oh, I I don't believe it for a second. I don't believe it even for a second. I think eventually all five of the cities we have listed here, plus maybe Louisville, probably gets in. Yeah. Um, and I think Detroit's gonna be the hardest though. Detroit is gonna be weird. I think you're right. There's no appetite for it from the Detroit City fans. There's no appetite for it from Detroit. And you're going to have to contend with those fans and that team if you put a team there. And, and even just with my extended family in Detroit, they know of Detroit City. When right. they think of our soccer team, they think of Detroit City. And the new culture in Detroit post-recession, uh, it's going to be a lot different and it's going to be a lot more it's a lot different than it was say 15 years ago and Detroit City really has its has carved it out as the city's thing I agree and I think you put an MLS team there the reaction from Chattanooga FC to Chattanooga Red Wolves was was pretty harsh if you put an MLS team in Detroit with Detroit City there and doing well in a professional league the lashback you're gonna get would make chattanooga look like just nothing oh yeah it would be it would be such a such a battle that i don't think mls wants any part of it and and the the risk of a potential fall supporter strike against mls to rally all of the local businesses and breweries and restaurants and all that that stuff behind detroit city it would it, hurt. It would just you you could root easily see Detroit City eventually averaging higher than the MLS team. Yeah, and that would be oh my the the embarrassment for MLS alone. Yeah, of would yeah. be traumatic. And and I think they've realized that in particular with Sacramento on you got to tread lightly and you can't just stomp out the local support. Yeah, because because that's it's never gone well. No. And I think they've learned their lesson with the way they relaunched Chivas USA as LAFC, that if you do it right, people are going to show up in droves. And if you do it wrong, it's a farce. Right. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, so I think we should leave the amateur stuff. I think we have a lot of amateur stuff. Oh, yeah. Lots so of I think, amateur stuff. I think that's probably a full episode alone. Go there. Yeah. Um, so we'll be back next time, probably next week or the next two weeks or so, 
For the 2020 season of the Sock Takes pod, we'll be touching on the expanded Open Cup, the crazy developments in amateur soccer, and we'll probably continue to be off topic and go on for too long, as is tradition at Sock Takes. We still have a whole uh, a whole K-pop section to go through. Oh yeah, that that's that's gonna <laughs> which will a, happen. It's gonna become a recurring theme. Don't you worry, Sock <laughs> Takes fans. So I think that's this is a good place to stop for today. We will be back soon. Thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed. As always, uh, Sock Takes is a proud part of the Beautiful Game Network and is a, proudly sponsored by Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier for USL and US soccer, along with many others, as well as Golden Goal Printing or Golden Goal Press for all of your fan merch needs. Stay tuned. We'll see you next time.